Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Well, we're really blessed today by, uh, by Ben Rouse being here today. Uh, ben is on staff over at Living Word. Um, been a part of uh, our lives as the Lifelink Churches, and we're really blessed by um, he and his family being a part of the ministry of Lifelink. And, uh, and, and of, you know, if you've got young people, he's been a part of their lives. You know that. He's blessed our family. So, so Ben, come and share the word with us. So, welcome. How are we all doing? It's really good to be with you guys. I'm, like, super excited. This is fantastic. I, um, I have a confession that in about two or three years, I, I haven't visited Mercy Hill before which I feel is like a shocking thing. So I'm incredibly excited to be with you here this morning. Super excited to share the word. and ex- I'm really excited to hear what God has for us. So um, I'm going to pray, and then we can dive in. So, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, that Lord, you're building your church, Lord, that you've, you're, you're building your church in this area, Lord, so that we can even relate together, Lord, and it's a beautiful thing. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you're a God who wants to speak to us, Lord, you're a God who wants to encourage us, Lord Jesus, and that you're a God who um, just loves us utterly and completely, Lord. And so this morning, Lord, we just come to your word again, Lord, needing a fresh touch, Lord, needing to be renewed and restored and uh, needing to hear from you once again, Lord. So we ask, Lord, that you would speak, Lord, and we ask that you would prepare our hearts to listen. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, my second confession is that we at Living Word have totally been copying you guys, and we started our own Luke series, which has been awesome. It's been really good. So I'm really excited to share out of Luke 18 with you guys this morning. I believe that's as far as you guys have got. Um, we're, in, we're going from verse 1 through verse 8. And um, this is a parable that Jesus is telling. Jesus, since I think it's chapter 9, verse 52, he has been traveling on the road, He's heading towards Jerusalem. And this is where the bulk of Luke is focused. You see him um, going and teaching and doing miracles and, and getting th- like stirring up the hornet's nest. He's getting people really mad. He's getting them frustrated because he's bringing the kingdom of God and he's sowing the seeds of the kingdom into, into this broken and messed up world that we all live in. And so it's as if there's... Um, there's this, uh, have you guys seen Pirates of the Caribbean? I think it's the third one. There are so many, I've lost count. But in the third one, there's that scene where um, Johnny Depp has gone into that weird purgatory place. And he's on the ship and he's trying to get back into the kind of real world or something like that. It's kind of trippy at that moment. But um, they're on the ship. And to get themselves back into the right way up kind of state, they have to run backwards and forwards across the ship and kind of tilt the ship and so eventually it will go right side up and then the world will be, they'll be back and the, and the world will be as it should be. And so this is kind of what Jesus is doing. He's going to and fro throughout t- towns and up on his way to Jerusalem. And it's like he's rocking the boat, running from one side to the other, to the other. And it's tipping the ship and he's kind of right siding up everything. But in the same time, it's turning everyone else's worlds upside down. And they're not super happy about it. And so uh, let me just encourage you as we read these passages, look for the ways that Jesus is trying to right side up 
the people he's talking to and look for the ways that he's trying to right side up our own thinking with what he's saying. So anyway, I'm preaching before we even got to the, um, got to the, to the verses, so uh, let's read it together. I'm reading from the NIV, but feel free to read in whichever version you'd like. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with a plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice, so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones, who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Wow. I'm always blown away by how, in just the space of a few short sentences, Jesus says so much. He says so much. And this is amazing, because it even comes with a spoiler at the beginning, so... We know what this is going to be all about, right? I'm not going to pull any punches. It's about praying without losing heart. It's about being persistent, about having faith. So we have a couple of characters, right? We have this judge. He's a man who doesn't care about God, and he doesn't care about man. He has no basis upon which to do his job. He has no basis upon which to give justice to anybody because he doesn't care about God and what God thinks and what God says. And he doesn't care about people. I mean, this guy has got to be the worst judge in the history of judges, just off the bat. And, and, and Jesus is trying to really hone in on this point because he, he mentions that fact at least twice. He says he doesn't care about God. He doesn't care about man. This is not a righteous judge. This is not a good judge. And we have a widow. We can assume this widow, she's got nothing. It's a disadvantaged state within that society. If she didn't remarry, she would be right on the bottom rungs of society. And and she has no basis to receive justice. She's got a judge with a hard heart. She's probably out on her own. Bad situation. She, she obviously needs justice for something. So she could have been wronged. She could have been hurt. She's in a bad place. And, and so typically what would happen is that the judge would expect a little kickback, something to grease the wheels of justice, a little bribe maybe, to help him make the ruling that's needed in the situation. She wasn't in a position to give it. She had nothing she could bring to this judge. And so instead... What she does is she just keeps coming back to him. She's not going to give up. She's not going to let up. She needs justice. And she's not just going to take no for an answer. She's going to keep going and keep going and keep going until she hears and gets the ruling that she needs. See, the thing is, she has nothing to bring to him. 
She's not someone of high standing, so she can influence him with power. She's not someone who has a wealthy inheritance, so she can bribe him to get the justice she needs. She's not someone who has anything she can bring to this guy that will force the hand of justice so that the world will be made right again in this little picture that we have. All she has is her persistence. All she has is her faith and her desperate need for justice. So, there is no reason for this judge to grant her justice. Zero. And so, but after a while we see this judge, he, he, something changes, right? Between, let's see the verse. So between verse 3 and verse 4, it talks about, for sometimes he refused, but finally he said to though, he said to, her, said to himself, even though I don't care what God or people think, Yet because the wither keeps bothering me, I'll grant her justice. What is going on? Why is there the change for a woman who who had no basis for getting justice? Why all of a sudden is the judge changing his mind? Now, you wonder, right? And I think there's something that, like if you have an ESV or other translations like it, it talks about how the judge is afraid she's going to wear him out. It's quite a soft phrase. The NIV renders it slightly differently and talks about how he's afraid she's going to attack him. And and really, the reason why it does that is, is because in the Greek, it talks about the judge, because of this woman's persistence, starts to become afraid. He's afraid. The literal Greek word talks about being hit under the eye. He is afraid that this lowly widow is going to give him a black eye unless he gives her justice. Now, I don't know about you guys. That is something, like, as I was looking through this passage, that stuck with me because I was like, I, was kind of, I, I couldn't quite see the connection, you know. I was like, yeah, she's persistent. But you know what? Like, a judge, he can just kind of push her off to one side. I'm sure there are plenty of other people needing justice from him. What makes her different? Like, surely he could take another route to work so she couldn't find him. Surely he could just have, you know, he's an important guy. Surely he could have someone deal with her and and take her off to one side. And, you know, he he would just be able to avoid the whole situation. Why, Why would he care, even if she's persistent? And I think so often we settle when it comes to persistence. We settle when it comes to what faith is. Where our persistence is just, just hanging in there until something changes. Just barely making it. Like, just, like it reminds me when I go tubing. I went tubing with some of you guys recently, actually. And half the time, I'm just holding on for dear life, you know. I'm just hoping that my arms won't give out before the boat stops or whatever, you know. And, and, and we can be like that, right? We can be like me tubing, just bouncing along, just hoping that something will change. But that's not what's going on here. This widow has been gripped by a sense of injustice. She has been gripped right through to her very being. To the extent that she's willing to give this judge a black eye. And she's, more, she's giving him the impression she's going to give him a black eye. Just to get this justice. I mean, this isn't some lowly widow saying, oh, by the way, if you have a moment, please. This is a widow who is going out after that judge. Even though it's not her place, she's intimidating the guy. That's a different picture, right? So this persistent widow 
She's not just, she's that scary woman who you think, wow, she could probably take me. This is who she is. And I'm challenged with my faith today. And I want to just lay down this challenge. What's our faith looking like? Are we just holding on? Hey, have we even let go? Are we just done? Are we given up? Or are we willing to pray and keep praying and to even gain intensity as we do it each time? And say, Lord, I'm, it's not just I'm not going to let go of this, but Lord, this is big. This is, I need this. Recently for me, this is going to hit home. And uh, Just a few weeks ago, uh, my family visited. My, my mom and my brother visited from England. I'm from England originally. I know I'm kind of losing my accent, so you're probably wondering if... Like, what's going on with this guy's voice? But I, I'm English. Um, and my mom and my brother visited. And it's been an interesting time because ever since I came, I moved to the U.S. about uh, three and a half years ago. My family kind of, sp- my parents split up just after I left. And it's been kind of in disarray. And they've been going through getting a divorce. And it's like almost four years later. And it's still, you know, dragging on. And, and I hadn't realized this. But you just slowly... You just start to lose hope, and you just start to lose faith. And, I, and I, I found that I was just slowly getting worn out with it. It just sucks the life out of you. Do you know what I mean? It, it, it's the kind of thing that it just pulls you down. And eventually, you just start to settle. You're just like, you know what? I just want, I just, I just want to move on. Now, I'll, I'll, find the, I'll find family somewhere else. Do you know what I mean? So on this visit, it was, something kind of hit me square between the eyes. Like, it was, in just this visit, it was, we, it was family again. Like, we're, we're getting so far through the divorce, you know, that finally we're connecting again. Finally, there's hope. Finally, there's future stuff. Finally, there's something exciting to look forward to again. And as they left, I, my heart was so heavy because I realized two things. That, man, I have missed that. So much. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those deep yearnings in your heart you just miss. And the second thing was, is that, man, I had lost faith for that. I had lost any sense of hope that I could ever have that again with these people that I so loved. And it's just so easy. It's just so easy to do. And maybe that's you today. Maybe just the, the drudgery of life and the, the, the just ongoing thing after thing after thing has just sucked the faith out of you. Sucked the hope out of you. But I think Jesus is calling us to something different today. And it's beautiful just to hear um, the testimony um, of, of just how the baby McKenna was born, you know, in faith like that. What a beautiful testimony you know, that you guys kept going. That you persisted and that you saw such a beautiful harvest of righteousness in that, you know. That's just awesome. And I, I, th- I think it's no mistake that we see that beautiful picture of us before us today in a tangible way that God's saying, look, faith can be real. It can, it can, be, test- it can be tested by suffering and come out the other side with a beautiful fruit. And so here are the two um, observations that Jesus makes in this parable that I think will shed some light on this. So, in the, in the final two verses, it says, The Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. 
And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. So, and then, however, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So there are two observations that Jesus is drawing out in just that section. He's saying there's the judge and there's the widow. And he kind of dials in on the two kind of main characteristics that he's placed within these two characters in the story. So we'll start off with the judge. Now, let's not get lost with this judge and not get too confused. Jesus isn't um, comparing God and the judge. He's not saying God is like this judge because otherwise, that's not so great. That's heresy, you know. It doesn't need quotation marks, really, does it? It's it's heresy. God is not unjust. God does love man. So let's not get confused here. He's not a God who needs railing on day and night to hear us, and he doesn't need to be afraid that we're going to punch him in the face for him to say yes to us. He loves us, and that's really good news. Instead, he's contrasting. Jesus is contrasting these two characters. So on one side, you have um, this evil judge, and then you have amazing God. And he's saying, hey, if even with this, this story of the widow, if even this applies to the worst judge in history, how much more is it going to apply to the best judge in the universe? To how much more does this apply to a God who loves us and cares for us and even laid down the life of his own son for us? There's a big, this is a lesser, greater argument. So God is the opposite of the judge. He is full of love and compassion. And he is a God who gives. I'm so blown away by the fact that God, when he chose to, to take sin on, when he chose to tackle sin, when he chose to tackle our infirmities, our awful condition as humans, his, his, his sole strategy was just to outgive it. It was to give and to give and to give. And despite our just inadequacy, our selfishness, our sinfulness, God's strategy from the beginning was just to outgive sin. And so it climaxes in God giving Jesus to us, giving his life, and then giving all that up on the cross. I mean, it's just, God is just outgiving our sin. And, and he is so, so good to us. So contrast that to that judge, because that is a very different picture from the judge. And then there's also something, you know, we're in a sense contrasted to the widow. Because we're not orphans. To the, to the orphan and the widow, God is their husband and father. I mean, it's beautiful. If you look throughout the scriptures, Old Testament and New, it's the orphan and the widow are so close to God's heart. And in a sense, we're all orphans in the condition we're in. And, and through Jesus, God has adopted us. He's taken us out of that lowly position. He's placed us in a high position where we're sons and we're daughters. We have an inheritance. We have favor with him. He loves us in the first place. So the contrast here is so different. Do you see? So that when we pray, he's going to answer us quickly. He hears our cries. He's there with us. And the picture is so very different. It says he will not delay long in granting justice to them. How much more will God answer us? And now, let me just qualify that. Not, not, not the God part, but what long feels like to us. 
Because I know and I'm sure some of us are in the throes of suffering. We're in the midst of, of that kind of in-betweenness, right? Where we're waiting on God for something. We need Him for something. And we're like, Lord, where's my breakthrough? Lord, where are you in this? Where are you in this mess? Maybe you don't even realize you are, but you are. And, 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 and what Jesus is, is calling us to here is a faith that flourishes in the midst of suffering, that even a widow can have hope. And, and so, just let me dial into hope and faith just really quick. Um, faith, we know from Hebrews, is, um, is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is, is like this, it's this concrete reality in our lives. It's the, it's the foretaste, right? Before something comes. It's, 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 it's our, it's, it's when, we, when we walk in faith, when we live it out, it is, it's evidence that, 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 that hope is true. And, and in a sense, faith is almost like, if, if hope is concerned with the end, do you know what I mean? If hope is concerned with the outcome and the result, faith is concerned in the, the way you get there. Right? Faith is the, is the thing you walk out day by day. Faith is the thing that you wrestle with. Faith is that thing, that, that daily battle, that daily struggle to walk in line what, with what hope is calling you to. Does that make sense? Faith is the hard part, sadly. And, I, and I'm not claiming to know the hows and whys of suffering. And the, the why not yet, Lord. You know, I'm not going to try and say, oh, it's because of this, that, and the other. We know that God is eager to answer our prayers. God is eager to meet our needs. And, and, and to, to try and reconcile those, sometimes we, we do an injustice to what God is doing in the moment. But there is something that we can be really sure of, utterly sure of, and I can promise you this today, that God will come through. God always comes through. God never fails. He never gives up. He's never not there. Even though the darkness seems to hide him sometimes, he's still there. His grace is still there. And in fact, we have a God who showed himself in Jesus in a really special way. See, in Jesus, not only do we see a God who is there, but we see a God who suffers alongside us. And if you're anything like me, I can think of a few times where there have been just real times of, you know, just torment, where the suffering is just too much. And, and I, I can think of one time in particular, when I was in Bible school and just in a kind of, in a real fix, and I, I just, you know, you just reached the end of yourself. I was just like, Lord, help, you know. And, and God came through in that situation. He definitely did. But what is even more profound to me is in that moment, I just knew he was right there. I knew his presence was just, just so close to me. It was more tangible than it's ever been in my whole life. And I could, I could feel God just feeling my pain with me. Does that make sense? I could feel we have a God who can sympathize with, a, with us. We have a God who knows what it's like to, to be in pain and in loss and destitute and hurt and broken. And it's just the most amazing and profound thing. And so let's not get lost when we're in our suffering. Let's remember, let's, 
fight for faith. Let's fight for faith. And let's realize that God will come through. He always comes through. Sometimes it's not quite as we think it's going to be, for sure. But he always, 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 always comes through. And, and that he's right there with us. He's right there with us. Anyway, I'm going to move on again. Let's talk about this widow. And I think Jesus, quite simply, and this is kind of obvious. This is my profound, obvious statement. Jesus wants us to be like the widow. That's the point of the parable, right? Jesus wants us to be like the widow. He wants us to, to pray and keep praying and get intense and get riled up and get passionate and get upset with the injustice and get mad because God's heart towards injustice, if you ever read one of the Old Testament prophets, he gets really mad in the Old Testament. Like, if you read the prophets, he's going crazy. He's going berserk. What? You know, he's, he's calling out nations and he's, he's going crazy because he hates the injustice that he sees before him. And he's determined to do something to put it to rights. And he wants us to share that heart that hates injustice right there with him. He wants us to to share that heart with him that will fight and keep fighting and get more and more and more intense until there is resolution and justice once again. That's what he wants. And I find it interesting because so often we can just think of of prayer as like mailing a letter or leaving a note with God saying, hey, by the way, when you've got time, God, um, I've got this thing and I need to fix it. Thanks. Bye. Amen. We're done. But that's not the picture of the widow that we have. With the widow, there's this reciprocal thing going on, right? Where she kind of engages this judge, and based on his, his response, he engages him, she engages him again and keeps going back, and her response changes and grows. And, and really, prayer isn't just ascending requests, but prayer is communion with God. Prayer is listening as much as it is hearing. And prayer is engaging God to search out his heart for our situation and, and, and to express our heart for our situation as well and see what beautiful result will come of it, right? And so when we realize that prayer is reciprocal, our prayers are going to grow and change. They're going to get more intense. They're going to get more pointed. It's like whittling. I'm not a big whittler. But I imagine, you know, you whittle down a stick and you get something pretty sharp, right? And prayer is that, is that process of sharpening. And, and, and God uses it. God loves to use those moments to sharpen us, to see us more pointed, to grow our faith and, and to, to shape us in, in, the, in the journey. Because I'm so convinced that God is just as concerned with, with the process of, of how we get to the outcome as he is to the outcome itself. That's how God works. You just look at how he engages with us. He's so concerned with the journey. And he's right there with us. And and that's the beauty of the gift of the Holy Spirit, really. So, I think we, with the parables, they always bring us to that kind of annoying point, right? That really kind of frustrating point sometimes where they're asking us a question. And often it's a question we don't want to ask. And it's certainly a question we don't want to answer sometimes. And the question that we have with us today 
is, am I living faith like this? Think of the uh, parable of the talents for a second. When uh, the master gives these three servants, you know, I think it's ten, five, and then one talent. You know, he says, go and invest it, make it grow, I'm going away. Bring me, bring me a return. And there's that guy who digs a hole and just throws the gold in the hole, buries it up. He's scared of the master. Doesn't do anything. And, and, and the master returns and he's mad. He's saying, hey, you just wasted all this time and all this opportunity. You know, I gave you this precious gift and you didn't do anything with it. What a shame. You know, he gets mad. And someone reminded me, someone made a connection in me before with me before that I hadn't realized. And I know in my Christian walk, I feel like I spend far too much time in maintenance mode, right? In the just getting by and the holding on to the tube for dear life because we don't want to go flying off and splashing in the water. And, and, and this person, I, I forget who it was, honestly, that he said, you know, that, that last servant who just buried the, this gold he was in maintenance mode. He's like us when we're in maintenance mode. And I thought, wow. I'm often in maintenance mode. Do you know what I mean? And what, and what is this maintenance mode? You know, it's, it's, it's where you've lost sight of that hope. And it's where you're no longer walking and exercising in faith. And it's where... You know, you're just scared and fear, and you just take, keep getting steps back and steps back, and eventually, like, okay, I'll just bury this thing, and you know, hopefully, it will turn out all right. No, and that's not what God's calling us to. Are we living faith like the widow? Are we in maintenance mode? Do we refuse to settle? I'm a really good settler. I'm a really good compromiser. Is anyone else? I don't know. I will, I will settle as soon as anything good looks, you know, looks to be coming from something. You'll be like, fine, we made it. We've arrived. There we go. No more hardship. No more suffering. Do you know what I mean? Imagine if, imagine if it was like a legal thing that we have today with the widow. And, you know, you have offers and counter-offers, making a settlement with the judgment. Do you think that widow would have settled for like an early settlement in, a court pro- in, in the court proceedings? Do you think she would have settled for half justice or for just a little money to make her shut up? No. She was determined to not settle. She had set her eyes on something that God had put in her mind and she was going to refuse to give up until that became reality. That was her faith. And I'm kind of challenged by that faith this morning, believe it or not. You know, a God that calls us to, you know, God has called the church to something pretty great. And I work in the church, obviously, and I think about this quite a lot, and it really scares me. You know, the God in Jesus, you know, He, he calls us the light of the world. He didn't say, I'm the light of the world and maybe you will be someday. He said, you are the light of the world and that we're the hope of the earth, right? That we're, we're the hope for Munster. Right here in this room is the hope for Munster and for Northwest Indiana and for the nations that we're praying for. I mean, that really scares me. Do you know what I mean? It's like, we're, we're hope right now. We're, we're the hope of this place. It's like, man. 
that's up there and kind of I so often feel down here, right? And man, it's hard, you know? And I get scared. I get really scared sometimes, too often. And it puts me back. It, it pushes me down. And you think, well, maybe if I just do this, maybe that will be okay. Maybe if we just see this small breakthrough, or maybe if this marriage in the church doesn't fail, or this situation just goes okay, then maybe we'll be being the hope of northwest Indiana, or Lansing, where I am. I, I, I just think it's bigger than that, isn't it? Don't you? I mean, it's bigger than that, right? God is calling us to something that's so much bigger. So much bigger. There's a whole picture of the kingdom that Jesus brings throughout this whole passage of what it would look like for the church to be the church, you know? What it would smell like, what it would taste like. The kind of justice that would rule. The kind of goodness that would reign. That kind of restoration of that just life-giving relationship with God. What that would look like. Man, are we settling? I settle. Let me just challenge us today. Let's really, we, we can't afford to settle. Whether times are hard or whether times are easy. Let's be honest, they're mostly hard, right? I'm a great complainer. I know, times always seem hard. But even when times are hard, God calls abundance into our midst. He calls out of us something great. And you see, faith isn't dependent on us. Faith isn't dependent on our circumstances or on how good we're feeling that day. Faith is a gift from God and it's something he renews in us every day. And it's something that we wrestle with him together every day. And it's something that birth is birthed in us every day. And if we'll ask him for more, he'll give us more. And if we need a bigger vision for something, he'll give us a bigger vision for it. Because God is good and he's true and he's faithful. And as I was praying this morning and just putting the finishing touches to things, God reminded me of um, the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel 37. Do you guys remember that? No, Ezekiel, well, I'll, you know what, I'll read the passage. It will be better than me kind of trying to recount it to you guys, believe it or not. So um, let's, I'm just going to read it really fast. But um, here's the point I want to make, and I'm going to do a Jesus because I'm going to do a little spoiler. But God gives Ezekiel the faith to see what he was praying for. He gives him the words even. He gives him the vision to see life come in the midst of this most desolate place. So, it says, he led me all around them. Oh, where am I? Sorry. I skipped the first verse in my notes, actually. My bad. So, verse 2, I'm going to look it up. Excuse me. Here we go. Let's do this. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were many lying in the valley, and it was very dry. The bones were very dry, sorry. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? 
He answered kind of pessimistically, Oh, Lord God, you know. You kind of, that was a deflection, right? That was a sidestep of that question. And then God said to him, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied what I've been commanded. And as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling. The bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked and there were sinews on them and flesh came upon them and skin covered them. And there was no breath in them still. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, a vast multitude. See, here's the thing, right? There are two things we can draw out of this just really fast. I know I need to wrap up. God is the one who gave him the vision to see these bones live. He had no idea. Let's be honest. He he had no creative idea of what these bones could look like. He saw bones and he said, Lord, you know what these bones are going to do. You know, it's all you. And he was right because God gave him this amazing vision. He said, hey, if you prophesy this, flesh will come upon them. There'll be breath in them. And they will come to life in your very midst. And you'll bring life to this dark and dry valley. And so he prophesies. And it happens. And, and first off, we see the, the gift of God of faith in the first place. He had no faith for that to happen. He had no idea of what was going to happen. He had no vision. He had no faith. He had no hope of what was going to happen. He had no faith on how to get there. God gave him both. And you have this valley of life all of a sudden, out of a valley of death, just like that. But the second thing is, is that the first time he prophesies, yeah, there's flesh on the bones and there's sinews and there's skin. But there's, there's no breath in these things. They're not alive. And now when God told him to prophesy the first time, God tells him that they will have breath in it. And you could think, right, if you're Ezekiel, okay, God. You know, they've, they've got flesh on them now. They're not bones anymore. We did it. We made it. We've arrived. Isn't this wonderful? Look, we just have corpses everywhere instead of bones. This is great. We've, we're here. Yeah, he could have settled, right? He could have stopped dead right there and said, God, that was amazing. What an amazing miracle. But he didn't. He remembered what God had called him to. And he said, you know what? You told me the breath needed to be in these, right? So God commands him to prophesy a second time. And boom, they're up on their feet, living, breathing. I mean, what would the valley have looked like a week after he had prophesied and he hadn't prophesied the breath? It would have been a stinking corpse valley. And then a month after that, it would have been back to the valley of dry bones. But when we don't settle, when we keep pushing onwards, when we're willing to give it all we've got, when we're willing to lay it all on the line and to run and to run and to follow that hope that God has called us to, that vision of what the kingdom of God could look like right here. There's life. 
There's breath, there's flesh, there's, there's living, breathing proof of God's faithfulness walking about among us. And that's what God wants to do here this morning. That's what God wants to do in our situations, all our lives, all of them I know, because I think you're probably like me. We're, we're full of, of, of closets with skeletons in them and death, and there's been stuff in our past and there's stuff in our present, and we're scared there's going to be stuff in our future that's just death, right? That, that stunts our life and holds us back. And God is saying this morning, call out to those dry bones. Call out, prophesy into them. Prophesy into your location here. That in this desolate valley in northwest Indiana of dry bones, that God will put flesh on them. And that God will put breath into them. And that we'll see his kingdom come. Because there are always issues in our lives. There's always death. That's just what sin does. But I tell you what, God can outdo that death just like that. It's just not hard for him. He just wants to do it with us. He's always itching for us just to, to realize what he's up to. To get alongside that and just participate in the glorious things that he would do among us. Where's your faith at this morning, church? What do you think? It's easy to get distracted. I'm, I'm a walking distraction. If there's a squirrel, you know, that kind of guy. So easy. And this, this um, believe it or not, this, this passage we've been talking about uh, in Luke precedes a passage talking about being distracted before Jesus comes. But hey, he's setting us off on a path. If we don't have vision, let's ask him for vision. But let's follow that with everything we've got. Let's be that persistent widow. See, faith isn't glamorous, but it is gritty and it's hard fought. It's real and it's profound. We've got to pray without ceasing, like Paul says, you know. We really do. Let me just finish with this quote and a, a, a brief scripture. This is something that Eugene Peterson wrote. It says, Do you think of Christian faith as a fragile style of life that can flourish only when the weather conditions are just right? Or do you see it as a tough perennial that can stick it out through the storm and drought, survive the trampling of careless feet and the attacks of vandals? Here's a biblical writer's view. He grew up before God, a scrawny seedling and a scrubby plant in a parched field. He was looked down on and passed over, a man who suffered, who knew pain firsthand. And one look at him, and people turned away. It's a, poor, a portrait of extreme rejection and painful persecution. What could come of such a poor and precarious begin, beginning? Not much, it would seem. Yeah, look at the results. He will see life come from, come from it. Life, life, and more life. God's plan will prosper through what he does. Out of that terrible tra- travail of soul, he'll see that it's worth it and be glad he did it. Through what he learned, my righteous one, my servant will make many righteous ones carry himself as the burden of their sins. The person of faith, remember this, the person of faith outlasts all the oppressors. Faith lasts. Now that's talking about Jesus, obviously. But it's so true for us. That's our inheritance right there. That's what Jesus has called us to, and that's what he's got for us. In the midst of our suffering. In the midst. I mean, you just look at the life of Jesus. In the very midst, in the very belly of his lowest points, 
were the times that God broke through, even defeating sin and death. There's nothing greater than you can do than that. So here's, here's my exhortation to you guys as I close. It's um, the message's version of Hebrews 12. It says, strip down, start running, and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. The cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. I know that's a big challenge. It kind of hits me between the eyes. You know, you've heard that I'm like not great at this stuff either. But I believe by the Spirit of God, He's calling us to something so much better. And we just can't settle, you know. So let me, let me pray and I'll, we'll close. Father, we thank you. Lord, for the gift of faith. Lord, that you're a God who gives us vision. Lord, you're a God who gives us hope. Lord, you're a God who speaks flourishing and abundant life into our dry places, Lord. Lord, and we come to you as a people who are broken, Lord, a people full of dryness. Lord, and we just ask you just to, to, to meet us once again. Lord, we ask you, Lord, just to pour out your rain on our dry places. Lord, we call forth, Lord, prophetically like Ezekiel, Lord, your abundant life into our life, Lord. Your abundant life into this church, Lord Jesus. Your abundant life into Munster, Indiana, Lord. That you would bring your kingdom. Lord, that you would bring your hope and your truth. Lord, and that you would birth a faith in us, Lord, that wouldn't settle, Lord, but that would see your purposes accomplished among us. Lord, there's no greater thing. Lord, we know it's not easy, Lord, but we thank you, Lord, that you've given us a spirit, Lord, who tirelessly works in us to accomplish the things that you've set before us. Lord, we just praise you today with what we, are, what we have and what we are, Lord. We thank you for how good you are to us. And we just pray you would bless us as we go out of this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.